Hello again, everybody. Today we'll review our states. States of being. How did we get here? Why did we feel this? Destabilizing and demoralizing has become the platform of the Biden administration. The United States is in a struggle session with people that hate Americans. They are also your leaders. They're your institutions, populated by cops, lawyers, teachers, medical, office, medical officers and doctors, and most importantly, the corporate CEOs. How do such people garner power? What, what have they always wanted? This and more in this episode. Hello again, everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers uh, doing a broadcast on a Friday. Um, the title of today's episode uh, is uh, about depression and demoral- demoralization and what is our destiny. So I first I'm going to play a snippet uh, from a broadcast and then I'm going to read a, a read a opinion piece opinion uh, piece penned by Victor Davis Hansen. So we'll first play this snippet and then go from there. The plan was to pour poison, to deliberately poison the roots of America's soul, namely our patriotism, our love of religion, and our devotion to our families. The the plan was to pour poison on these by taking over the institutions and deliberately besmirching and fouling what we love the most, our flag, our religions, and our families. This was not an accident. This demoralization has been going on now for in, in our entire lifetimes, and now we're watching our schools down to the kindergartens being turned into little, little uh, critical race theory brainwash sessions. So um, I think that's a pretty good snippet and kind of summarizes where that particular situation is going. So I'm going to read read this opinion piece because I think it's it, it ties in and we'll go from there. As Americans uh, now uh, know from their illustrious history, any nation's well-being hinges on only a few factors. It's prosperity, freedom, 
and overall stability depend on its constitutional and political stability. A secure currency and financial order are also essential, as is a small, uh, strong military. Perhaps most important is a first-rate inductive educational system. Of course, nothing is possible without general social calm, often dependent on reverence for the past and secure borders. The ability to produce or easily acquire food, fuel, and key natural resources ensures a nation's independence and autonomy. Unfortunately, in the last few months, all those centuries-old reasons to be confident in America, strength and resiliency have been put into doubt. The challenge is not just enemies abroad such as China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. The greater problem lies within us as we erode the inherited and acquired strengths that made us singular, both materially and spiritually. We are now witnessing a concentrated effort to alter the constitutional orders and centuries of custom and tradition. The left believes that the only way it can retain its transient power, given the unpopularity of most of its agenda. A nation's institutions are its bedrock, yet the electoral college and constitutional emphasis on individual states established voting laws are under assault. Already gone is the 176-year-old tradition of a pivotal November election day. The 152-year-old nine-member Supreme Court, the 184-year-old Senate filibuster, and the 62-year-old idea of a 50-state union are all being targeted by the new Democratic Party. Given the that last presidential election was hotly contested, that Democratic congressional majorities are minuscule and the Supreme Court is unsympathetic, the left seeks to change the rules to stay in power rather than adjust its unpopular policies. We are running up vast multi-trillion dollar annual deficits as we race to the $30 trillion national debt. More worrisome, our elites justify the spending with sophistries about debt being irrelevant or inflation and stagflation being relics of the past, even as prices are now soaring. After costly strategic stagnation in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, our military is now turning on its own. Some of the politicized top brass seem more worried about the politics of their own soldiers than the dangers of foreign militaries. Our public schools and colleges are systematically downplaying meritocratic, I can't say that, meritocratic curricula and substituting ideological, racial, and cultural litmus tests. Admissions now often hinge on uh, hinge as much on race, gender, and ethnicity as on quantifiable achievement. The First Amendment and Fifth Amendment, covering free speech and due process, have vanished from most colleges. The, the year 2020 saw the most destructive riots in American history, yet few, yet very few of the looters, arsonists, and rioters were ever indicted. Most were never arrested. Whether government arrests violent protesters or those assembling in mass and breaking quarantines is contingent on their ideology. Private monopolies that control most of the written communications of Americans censor expression entirely on the basis of politics. Modern Jacobins seek to erase our founding in, in 1776. Mobs tear down statues and deface monuments with impunity. There is no consistent rhyme or reason to why the names of schools, institutions, and streets are erased overnight, except the relative dangers of a nihilistic electronic mob. 
our officials at the Justice Department in the United States either will not or cannot defend the history and reputation of their own homeland. I think he means the United States there, but we'll let it go there. Uh, record ga- natural gas and oil production has been given the public affordable heating, cooling, and transportation. Self-sufficiency in energy made the United States exempt from the worries of Middle East wars and foreign oil embargoes. The more we produced of our own natural gas, the cleaner became our air and the smaller our collective carbon footprint. Yet in just 100 days, energy prices have soared. The Joe Biden administration has canceled the Keystone XL pipeline and limited energy leasing on federal lands, threatening to all but end our gas and oil independency in just a few years. In the drought-stricken West, the key irrigation water is still being diverted from farms to the ocean. Billions of dollars in farm aid are doled out on the basis of race, and promises of new regulations and estate taxes may well kill off what's left of family farms. Adam Smith said of successful nations that they have a lot of ruin in them. He meant that a dissolute, leisured, and a historical generation has waste, has to waste a lot of generous inherited wealth before it can runs out. We are learning how much will soon be left of what our ancestors bequeathed. Then the rest of the world is watching, some with glee, others with horror. So I think we have a pretty good understanding of where he, he stands on this uh, issue. I think it interplays well with what I just uh, stated. Um, so, why are we here? And and I guess, you know, from my standpoint, I've been, um, last couple of days, I've been rather depressed about how we've uh, gotten to this point um, and demoralized, I guess, is a, uh, a situation as a, as the the first uh, uh, first bit of this was about uh, demoralization. So I'm going to turn to, and then you've heard of him before, I've talked about him before, Yuri Besmanov, and I'm going to play, play his entire 13-minute speech here. Uh, he did this back in 1984, but I think it's worth uh, repeating because I think it's important to continue to reiterate where we're at and where we're going possibly. And I think he does a pretty good job of uh, uh, encapsulizing this. And he did this, and he saw this coming in the United States, and, and now it's here. So, Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do, is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of its intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion 
or active measures, активные мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result, the result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind, even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black. You still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of the uh, of, uh, United States society. And yet these people who've been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand, and uh, it will be greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled, because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans 
thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So basically America is stuck with, with demoralization. And unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, no, normalcy and, and uh, patriotism. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis. So, Yuri put it pretty succinctly there. This is what will happen if you let all the schmucks bring you to power. So, um, I think we're at the destabilization crisis uh, precipice. We've been destabilized over the last couple of years by... Uh, by our Marxist-Leninist uh, uh, outfit that's stationed in Washington, D.C. now, since they've taken over all our institutions. Um, they've taken over the educational system. They've used the, the succorable or the naivete or the, or the, I guess you could say, gullible uh, aspects of women. I use women, I'm sorry. It, it, it sucks to be... It sucks to be the 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 uh, I guess you could say the the methodology that was done. Uh, they've influenced most women to feel these Marxist idea field these Marxist ideas about family, about culture, about patriotism, and destroyed them. Women teach your kids. We found out that on Zoom calls that women uh, resent the idea that they're quote unquote your babysitters. Um, babysitters of your kids in school. Um, I thought your job was to teach them 
you're supposed to train you know, kids or to allow them to learn and learn actively. But women don't like that. Uh, that's why they've installed control mechanisms. They really despise men, in particular boys. I'm saying boys at that age because they're antsy, they're active, uh, they don't listen. Um, you know, it's rambunctiousness. I was one of these rambunctious boys. Uh, I was I was often criticized for my behavioral uh, antics. I know that personally. I know that but for my report cards because it was always talks too much. <laughs> Go figure, I'm doing a Sprecher uh, podcast now because I talk too much. So um, that was always used as a uh, means to control me. Uh, they would they would write down negative viewpoints on my behavior even though I wasn't because I was fighting. It was just because I talked too much and was, uh, you know, very, I guess, inquisitive, and they women don't like that, especially when you're a younger kid. They despise that because, you know, they can't control it. Many of these women are barren or refuse to reproduce. I hate to say that. That's kind of obvious if you look at women. There are some, there are good teachers, you know, don't get me wrong. There are women who care about what they do and provide good education but there's a large sect of them and we found out who they are if you look at whoever's involved in the teachers unions uh, they've resisted uh, teaching their kids our kids are falling upon uh, falling behind in school this is being done on purpose these women are, are trying to bring this country to uh, its knees so they are guilty of that they're guilty of that sin i'm throwing that sin at them but what's even more reprehensible, I guess, in a, in a roundabout way, and it's a sneaky reprehensible, is that men have allowed this to go on for the last 50 or 60 years. They've allowed women to contort the legal system, uh, equity courts, family courts. Um, once women, and this was secured back in 1969, uh, got no-fault no divorce put in place, um, it's been off to the races and destruction of this country. Um, Yuri didn't discuss that, but that's a, a ostensibly one of the major reasons. Uh, LBJ did it to the black community with um, inviting women basically to marry the state and get uh, welfare and other benefits through the state. Why? How do they get their benefits? They get it through taxes, the taxes from other people. But those taxes go through Washington, D.C., Washington CC then collectivizes this all this information and all your money and then they take 20% or 30% or however whatever percentage I call it a processing fee that's how they have grown the power of federal government uh, the larger the federal government grows the more it's eaten up by your tax uh, they eat up your taxes and then they distribute back you know pennies on a dollar uh, to to women, welfare, the welfare cycle. And they keep these people dependent. They keep them ignorant. And that these people think that uh, that the government helps them. They think that the Democrats help them. They especially like to, they especially like to do that in inner cities. They bribe these people into voting for them all the time. That's why most Democrat cities are voting 70 and 80 percent for Democrats because they bribed a bunch of people end up thinking, you know, people say, well, they vote in their self-interest. Yeah, 
They vote in their self-interest, but they're destroying the entire country through the process. But this has been kind of done by men because men have never said no. Men aren't teaching. There's not enough men teaching in school. There's like, you know, and the ones that are are, are leftists. They're not teaching about responsibility. They're not teaching kids to be self-sufficient. They're not teaching responsibility. They're not teaching res- accountability. And once women divorce themselves from men, and you had two household, and the state decided to choose uh, pick winners and losers by allowing women to have the uh, main custody of the kid, irrespective of whether she was a good parent or not, um, thus the destruction of the family unit, which was going... Uh, which was just a replay of what happened in the rush uh in the post uh post uh, revolution russian era in the 1920s when uh they made uh made family uh made the family unit uh erased it cuz this is a way to divide and conquer so i'm not really i'm not really uh just criticizing just women there's a criticism of men we knew this was coming and this is where as I said, if you want to read some Marxist tracts, I mean, there's plenty of them out there. But uh, yeah, Betty Freehand's Feminine Mystique was a way to, to get to enliven the sexual appetites of women and, and tell them how bored, how they should feel feel put upon and oppressed by men uh, for, you know, <laughs> for them running an household. You should feel bored. You should go seek a career. Um, the idea of uh, roles and responsibilities uh uh, were divorced from everything and Yuri knew that and so did uh, Nikita Khrushchev he said we don't have to fire a shot on U.S. soil all we have to do is undermine it and they've achieved their goal yeah unfortunately though uh, we defeated the Russian influence and then we allowed the Chinese to come in through the back door and the Chinese have bought up politicians who continue to push this garbage to us and they bought up uh uh, like I said, they bought out our president, our current president. Um, in, in 2020, they were all in on on pushing this, um, pushing this because whether anyone knew it or not, you know, Trump is what he is. But uh, Trump was uh, was not giving the Chinese what they needed or what they wanted, and he was uh, uh, deploying tariffs. And so there was probably a concerted effort by the Democrats who were impeaching Trump any chance they could. And made hell, made made it damn sure that they were going to go after him. I mean, there this is an ideological struggle. The problem is, is the conservatives or the Republicans are weak and bought and paid for too. The Republicans hated them also. So I have a hypothesis here. Um, the election of Trump created the moral equivalency argument to the left to be willing to tear down and do anything, do anything at all. Um, the mindset was is Trump was evil, um, you know, based upon his personal flaws and his moral, his moral problems, I guess you could say, from the fact that he wasn't, uh, you know, a stable family man with one wife and, and oh, a number of kids. They left didn't buy into that at all. The media used that against him. In particular, there's a host of other people that were uh, along with that. So they used this. They said, well, it's the whataboutism. It's like, well, if Trump can be this way, then we can be this way too. And this is where the left always loses the narrative. They were already ideologically bent, but they were hell-bent on getting him out of office no matter what the what the cost. And they're going to destroy this nation to do it. And they're going to pat themselves on the back, but 
eventually they're going to become, as uh, Yuri put, they're going to be the people that are going to be put up against a wall and gotten rid of because they're, they've served their purpose. And I hope you I hope those that are listening that feel that, you know, they did it for the right reasons to get rid of Trump, that they, they'll, they'll feel that way when uh, someone comes along and puts their jackboot on their neck and says, well, I'm going to snap your neck now because you're no longer useful to me. I hope they realize wow, how how damnably stupid they are. But so you, know, you have the the actors that were standing against it, and this is standing against the United States because Trump was just a, a symbol of this. Uh, this was about you know the the attack on the you could call it the attack on the patriarchy. You could say attack on white Christians, or you're just Christians in general, or anybody who. Um, who stood against uh, the left's uh, imperatives, which are always about control, power, and bringing everybody down to a a um, same level. And they're doing it at the behest of globalist billionaires, by the way. You know, the corporate CEOs that are now using fascistic tactics against us. Uh, so you have the media, the Democrats, in particular Clinton. Clinton is part and parcel of this, so is Obama. Obama was the first socialist, I guess, socialist president. He was the one who destroyed the Fifth Amendment in the United States of America, uh, the rights of due process. He did, destroyed it on campus. He eradicated that process, and he caused numerous lawsuits. And even though there was some pushback under the Trump administration, they didn't do well enough to to, to, to continue that. And now you have the attack on Title IX and um women in the transgender arena and of course you know there's been some pushback but then there's been a lot of uh weak republicans uh christy Nome, despite what she said of course that makes makes the left mad uh she really didn't go far enough she was too busy trying to cater to corporate america instead just telling the ncaa to go stick it up their rear end and say but she was told or at least she makes the argument that uh her legal team told her that she couldn't win that fight. Well, she just needed to do a uh, have a much stronger media campaign and decide that uh, no, this trans uh, trans uh, sexual bullshit needs to stop, and we need to uh, separate that sex, male and female. They need to be in different aspects. But sports is just one one outlet, but uh, it's important. So then you got the D.C. agencies that go along with the Democrats. And D.C. has been highly, um, they've been taken over by Democratic or leftist ideology. I don't even call them Democrats anymore because the average, what used to be the average Democrat, and there was a time in my life when I was a Democrat, uh, is long gone. I mean, that's, I would have been considered, like uh, I would be considered a, uh, I mean, I'm considered right wing, but I'm probably pretty much a, uh, a centrist in most regards, but of course, you know, I understand that there's a, uh, <laughs> I know what's at foot and I'll be damned if I'm going to, any position that I take is going to be antithetical to the, the current regime and, and the current uh, attack of the United States of America. So from that standpoint, yes, I am right wing. I'm right of where they're going to be because they're, they're trying to destroy this entire country. They don't care how, they don't care about that. They don't care about their ends. Uh, I mean, their ends are, the ends that they have, they don't care about how they get there. Um, they will, 
they will eradicate the Constitution. They will subjugate us to China and other uh, other outlier outside forces. They're trying to Im- Im- immigrate enough people to change the entire characteristic of this country, and they don't care. They don't care how they go about it. Uh, they just passed yesterday. Uh, uh, the House did. Uh, the once again, they're trying to turn D.C. into a 51st state so they can get more senators. Um, it, it won't go anywhere, but, I mean, that's what everybody thinks. But uh, and, and by Constitution, they're supposed to go through. They're going to have to go through an amendment process, but uh, uh, leave it to the Democrats to avoid that. They'll figure out a way. That's what they use the law for. I mean, they've contorted and twisted and smeared the law so much now that I don't. I don't even think there's any contracts that that I would even hold, withhold or hold up to because um, once you see that the state is no longer um, no longer cares about the social contract, no longer cares about any of the amendments, why should any of us obey them? They're just they're just a bunch of evil people that happen to have a badge on their on their shoulder. I mean, they've. I'm not saying you should go out and purposely break the law, but I mean, why should I listen to somebody who's going to give me moral lectures and yet acts, acts as morally repulsive as possible? And they justify their, their actions based upon something that they believe is true, even though they know they, they can't prove it's true. That's what they did with Trump, and that's what Yuri was talking about. No matter what, you, no matter what arguments and presentation of facts you can pr- present to the average leftist, it doesn't make any difference to them. They're too uh, mind-screwed. That's the reason why every shooting incident anymore is being honed in on, honed in on by the media. The media has their marching orders. Many of them are bought and paid for by the CCP. Uh, Natalie Winters of the National Pulses has uh, ferreted that out. This has happened over the last uh, uh, eight to ten years. Uh, there's been a host of of uh, junkets where uh, uh, media people from like Vox or any, any CNBC or whatever. There's there's a host. Of, she has an article up. I'll I have to link to it in the in the description later. But uh, the 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 money shot is is that these uh, these media folks have been given guided tours of how great and wonderful China is, and now they carry they basically carry their water. They always carry their water. They 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 refuse to they refuse to see the United States the way they should. They they will they're they're lauding and praising the Chinese Communist Party, but um, <laughs> there's a host of uh, they there's a host of examples of how how evil the the regime is over there with the way they treat their people. But we won't hear about that because you know it's not a big it's not a big it's not a story they want to uh, uh, disseminate to the average populace. And like I said, there there are good Chinese people, but the the regime, the CCP, the one party rule, um, they're thugs, and they they know they're thugs, and they don't care. Um, meanwhile, the United States had had uh, criminal uh, crime rates had been dropping. They dro- dropped under Obama. I'm giving him credit where that happened, and it would drop. They continue to drop under Trump uh, across the board on all crimes. The places where there's the been most crime has always been in democratic cities. San Francisco is a haven for uh, nonviolent per se crime, but a property crime and property damage, and it happens in other cities too. I mean, we all know about Baltimore. We've all heard about St. Louis, Chicago, 
Um, New York City is now being turned back into a criminal haven. Uh, we know about uh, Seattle and Portland with the property grime and damages, and they're letting letting those people go. Uh, I, I found reports on that last summer, or late late last summer, when uh, they were taking people that they had arrested for uh, trying to uh, literally break into a federal building, and, uh, and they were setting fires and nightly they were having nightly uh, get-togethers to try to you know, do damage to uh, Portland facilities, and then they would just arrest them and then let them go. Uh, and usually, the, it, predominantly, they were white people. They predominantly they were Antifa or Antifa connected. Sure, there was there were some elements of of other races and whatnot, but I'm just telling you what I saw on the the blot the police blotter and the number of pictures, and they had a breakdown of their race. And they and oh by the way, about half of the assailants were women. Which tells you again that they've been radicalized, because women don't normally act that way. But uh, women are now being used a part of the; they're a part of the Marxist takeover. Um, they use succorable women that are dumb and young, and they just they just have been pumped full of ideological hogwash, and they'll continue to do whatever uh, whatever their masters uh, tell them to do. And they're probably getting paid a little bit under the table, you know. When you don't, when most of these uh, Marxists have been taught, don't want to work on anything uh, worthwhile in life, and they've uh, they've got it ingrained in their brain from uh, poor educators that they can't get ahead. Um, This in particular happened after the 2008 financial uh, debacle. Uh, They've been trained to think this way. Then this is what you get. You get to, you get a bunch of millennials and, and Zoomers that are acting like a bunch of idiots because that's what they've been trained to do for the last, you know, twenty years, as uh, Yuri would have put it. Although the last, the last generation, probably eighty percent of the kids that were trained in the the last generation turned out to be a bunch of Marxist socialist uh, wannabes. There's probably very few uh, uh, conservatives amongst that group. Um, because they were raised by single moms too, so we had poor family uh, life. We had uh, Marxist education, this critical race theory that's been pumped into the heads. The Common Core, which has all been sponsored by Gates, and Gates is a hustler, and he's been doing this. He has uh, destabilized this nation. Anybody who uses Microsoft should start thinking about ways to decouple from that entire organization. Um, they're, they actually are involved in deals with, uh, the CCP and the Chinese. Um, they don't like us. Um, they never have. They're run by people who are, are left wing, who are, uh, who think that they're smarter than everybody else. Uh, I'm sorry you, uh, sorry for those little nerds out there that got, didn't get what they wanted, didn't get enough love from mommy and daddy, even though they were probably raised in a probably, uh, upper middle class background but they're probably their parents divorced or something somewhere along the line they didn't get enough attention and now they've uh, sought revenge against all the rest of us that's that's the narrative now i don't have any absolute facts and statistics to that but you can kind of you can kind of puzzle that out if you've met a few of these people uh there was a video <laughs> the other day uh, uh, a a guy who was you know claims to have develop quantum computing and stuff like that and 
his uh, his ideological philosophy about uh, computers and AI and and what human beings are in relation to that kind of speaks volumes about what kind of human being he he is um, and what he thinks of the rest of us. Uh, there was very little empathy about uh, humanity. It was all about replacement. It was all about oh we we should be. Uh, lauding and praising this AI that's going to come down the way. This is uh, where you get into the New World Order uh, perspectives uh, and the globalist uh, agenda run by these uh, super elite who are using using their foot soldiers to, to push this. And it's not just Gates or Soros is involved and a whole host of major players, mainly billionaires, uh, people who are in tech firms, people who are in... Uh, business magnates and they've uh got their got their uh what you call it their second and third string or they have the people that they've pumped this information into the cops so a lot of the cops now uh because of the demoralization of the the forces around the country any good cop has already quit and the only ones that are remaining are going to be the lefty cops or the new new social workers are trying to bring online. That's why they want to talk about defunding the police. See, the left will de- they want to defund the police. They only want to defund the defund the police long enough to get rid of the good cops. That's it. Or the remaining good cops. Once they get rid of them, then they're gonna they're gonna say, "Oh yes, we need money. We need we need people. We need uh we need cops again." And then the next thing they'll do. Is they'll rehire, but they'll only rehire the ones that they only hire the people that they want to hire that have a, a, a political bent that's left. They'll hire the leftists. They'll hire the uh, all those social work. They'll turn them into social workers, but they won't be just social workers. They'll they'll be people who they'll be medical enforcers. They'll be uh, um, uh, leftist agenda enforcers, um, and they'll be armed up and they'll be untrained. And there'll be lots of incidents, and they'll blame it on the victim. They'll do everything that they said they did. They do. The left does everything they say they they hate that the right does. This is the problem with people who don't understand left-right politics too. That um, authoritarianism is usually a left thing. It's not a it's not a right agenda. The reason why they complain about the cops so much is because they're afraid of the cops. So what's the best way to uh, change the the me- uh, methodology of that is to take over that institution, and that's what they're doing. That's the the final game plan was that the last two institutions that stood in the way of the leftist takeover was uh, the cops and the military, and the cops also extends to like uh, the DEA, the FBI, anybody, any of the alphabet agencies. And they took that over probably in 2018 or so. Because the FBI is, is garbage. We already know that. They're chasing people. They're, ch- they're setting up people. They're setting up conservatives. They're going after people based upon their ideology. They, they're not arresting the people that have actually caused crime. Um, they're, they're basing their, their uh, enforcement based upon ideology and race. They're, they're, they're a lost organization. I won't have any respect for any FBI agent whatsoever anymore. Uh, you've lost the, you've lost the narrative, and you've lost the populace. Um, so they've once they took over that, then taking over the local law enforcement was the next phase, and they did that in 2020. In 2020, they broke us down based upon race. 
They used George Floyd as the lightning rod. That's the reason why it was so important to get a conviction on on Derek Chauvin. Now, do I think Derek Chauvin was guilty of something? Yes. But do I think he was guilty of murder too? No, I don't think that at all. I, I think I think at most he, he probably should have gotten a year or maybe two years in jail for aggravated assault. Um, he wasn't the proximate cause to Floyd's death, but that's... That's just my opinion. But, of course, the prosecutors overcharged him for a reason. Initially, it was to overcharge him in the hopes that uh, yeah, they, they were overcharging him, uh, thinking that if they went to a jury trial, uh, he would probably be found absolutely guilt, uh, uh, innocent instead of guilty, and then there would be race riots, and they wanted that. But because it's no longer, I guess you could say, since it was no longer feasible, per se, then they had uh, Biden and state uh, representatives and senators coming out and say, oh, well, Chauvin's guilty, and that influenced the jury. And when you have a jury tampering or jury influence based upon the comments of the president of the United States and other political leaders, including Max, uh, Maxine Waters, what does, that, what does that tell you about justice in the United States of America? You can't get a fair trial anymore because all you're going to have is people, you're going to have uh, politicians weighing in, and they're going to... Uh, sick their attack dogs on you. you you basically got mob justice anymore all you need is an allegation and then you're going to have this mob that's going to come out and they're going to start um, uh, harassing people and so you're going to have jurors that are going to be fearful of that they don't want to be targeted the new york times in fact i think it was the new york times um, and it was uh, interested in what the jury makeup was and they seem to know everything about the jurors and where they lived and stuff like that, which is just reprehensible. The media media is now just a, a extension of the Democratic Party, and they're operating on a on a basis of um, if you don't do what we tell you to do, we're going to uh, make life extremely uncomfortable for you. Ordinary citizens. We're not talking about public officials. They're going after ordinary citizens now. This is this is this is the reason why. Uh, so many people hate the media, and they're going to continue to hate the media. And then the media, when they eventually, they're going to gin this up to the point where people are going to take take very, they're going to take umbrage with them. And then the media will cry like a little bully that they are. They're going to cry. They'll go cry to the Justice Department. They'll say, we're being attacked because we're media. And that's what you're going to get. That's what they, That's what these babies do. They're nothing but weaklings. But because they have the power of the pen, they can, they can, they're, right now they're in a powerful position. And the Biden administration, they won't even attack the Biden administration. They're afraid to even ask questions. They're trying to be very, very polite to them. That's the reason why Jen Psaki can, can do her little, uh, do her White House uh, press conferences. And she can just bite the heads off all the media people. All the people who even try to ask her a tough question. She turns it into a, uh, she blusters and she bullies and she uh, condescendingly responds to all the uh, questions. I mean, she's been working in, she worked in the State Department before uh, under Obama. So she's well trained in this uh, particular uh, technique. Uh, She was the perfect, uh, she was probably the perfect person to put in that position. And like I said, I don't have anything against her personally, I just... I just know, just based upon her behavior, she's she's the type of human being that you would never want to be, uh, would never put into any position of authority. 
because she's just she's just just as bad as her boss. So I've talked quite a bit on this, but um, so now looking at this, um, the one of the bigger things that the, the globalists do is has to keep you constantly in crisis. Um, you have to be in crisis mode. Why? Because it keeps up the stress on people. And the more stress you induce in people, eventually people, um, they can't handle the stress anymore. And they just become compliant. They become, uh, there's been um, uh, studies done on this with rats. You know, um, it's about, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, giving, uh, you either give, uh, uh, for example, if they hit a handle, uh, they receive a war reward or benefit, but if they don't do something right and you give them an electric shock, um, it's trained helplessness. It trains the trains the subject to eventually feel helpless, and then they just they just uh, they shut off, they shut down as a person, um, they wither away. Uh, this is causing the stress levels in everybody in America to go up, and this is being done by your own uh, federal government. In many of your state governments, by the way, um, so this isn't just a this isn't just a federal government thing. This is a um, this is being driven throughout the entire institutions that you used to, you know, even if you criticized them, you used to at least have some faith that they worked halfway decent. But this is what's happened over the past, you know, fifty or sixty years. You know, they've been infiltrated. Academia is training these idiots up. Um, the people that have been trained in, in you know, a lot of these high fluting universities uh, were trained with a, a resentment uh, of the American institutions, uh, trained to hate the country, and it's come out. So, with that said, with the uh, the once you're demoralized and once you're learn, you have a certain amount of learned helplessness. Uh, to where you just give up you just give up on on fighting uh, and that's what they're trying to do that's trying to, they're trying to wear us down that's what 2020 was all about it was about uh, stripping people of their rights stripping them of their ability to take care of themselves that's why they they attacked all the middle cl- uh, middle class all the people who had businesses small business owners entrepreneurs or just people who who are well self-employed contractors subcontractors i was a contractor subcontractor i'm under enormous financial duress but uh it is what it is i don't at this point i i know where i know what's going on and so at least at least being aware of it is half the battle a lot of people are still wondering why people are doing things to them and there's a lot of people that have woken up and know exactly what's been going on to them but um you know that this is all a psychological uh, warfare against us, and that uh, I was aware of it from last year, or at least as early as April, because I could see by the pronouncements that were coming out that it didn't make any sense. And I had some uh, experience, which I'll relate here. So, and hold on a second. So, when I was ten years old. 1982 um i was uh, going into fifth grade that summer before uh my mom and uh, uh dad uh or were they had a big um uh, had a, well i call it a fight it wasn't a fight it was a beat down my dad uh brutal, brutalized my mom over 
you know, some some uh, ride home from work that she received from a guy at work that my dad, my dad's uh, hyper jealousy plus his immoral behavior had had constantly been a thorn in our in the entire family structure. My dad was a my dad is the epitome of evil in my mindset. Um, I don't hold that against him. That's just my that's my viewpoint on him. That's my cold analysis of him. But um, what happened thereafter, though, was a was a psychological war. Um, for matter of fact, I let me write this down. So he would uh, he would couch his objective in bi- biblical te- teachings. Um, he was very much a fundamentalist, but I mean, he did, he, he never practiced anything that he preaches, but he used, um, he used that, uh, trick because my mom was, uh, raised as a Catholic and she wanted to attend church. As a matter of fact, uh, uh that became a issue, a sore spot when my mom wanted, uh, us to attend church, at least me and my mom, when we wanted to go to a Catholic church to, uh, to garner some you know, garner some religious teaching or, or whatnot, you know, reading of the Bible, listening to the Bible. My dad couldn't have that. And he really was, um, he was very brutal about that to my mom. And so that would, but on the same token, that was the, uh, that was the, that was the means in which he was trying to couch his, he wanted to make himself morally superior by, uh, using using the Bible, and he was very good at using the Bible. Um, and in essence, I went through my first struggle session when I was ten years old, for a period of months. Actually, for about I'd say from uh, August of uh, 1982 to roughly May or June of 1983, I was I was the pawn in the game of of uh who who had who held uh held, who held me in their possession um uh, my mom won custody in in court uh but every other weekend i would be seen by my father and my father would then when he had me for those uh several days he'd usually have me on a get me on a friday night and uh turn me back over to my mom on monday well those uh those uh two or three days were struggle sessions um, he would pump me for information. He would expect me to answer questions. He would expect me to ask my mom specific questions and he expected me to be, a, and then he would expect me to give him an answer of what she was saying, even though I had to make all this shit up for him, which is what I did because I, you know, I didn't sit there and question my mom. He, he would, you know, he would, he would literally, and uh, want a ton of questions asked of her, uh, but of course, you know, being a kid, I didn't remember what those questions all were. And, I, you know, it was all about, do you love me? Blah, blah, blah. Does she still love me? Does she think about me? Does she, you know, it was all real, very highly manipulative. And so, and then he would also go off on his soapbox and, you know, talk about revelations and talk about the Bible and this, that, and what, you know, what the role of the man is and all this other shit that, you know, just, you know, no kid, no fifth, no fifth grader wants to hear, but I had to put up with it. I had to listen to it. I had to come somehow uh, deal with his his uh, his obsessions. I had to deal with his obsessions. I was the one who was put in the box. Now he did this also to my mother. He would call her up and blah blah blah. He would he would break her down too, but he 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 didn't have quite the 
he didn't have quite as much interaction with my mom as he had with me, even though there was a restraining order and all this other stuff. So everything you can think about was being done that way. And then he, he would get violent. He would, uh, he would take me to uh, the middle school, or at that time I was in fifth grade. Yeah, it would have been an essentially middle school, elementary school parking lot. So we'd go over there, he'd drive us over there, and we'd park in the parking lot. And he and he would start berating me uh, sometimes. He would threaten me and uh, go through a host of, you know, just really, really um, despicable in terms of how... I, and then he would then he would love bomb me and you know he'd say oh I'll do this for you I'll do that for you he'd prom- make all kinds of promises to me but never fulfilled any of them um and expected me to to think that that was going to be you know received well and you know and there was no questioning it you know obviously you don't question your abuser because uh, if you question them they just make them more intensely irate at you so I had to sit there and take that all the time, every other weekend. And then when um, the time came uh, that later that next year, uh, or about the middle of you know closing of the school year, uh, my mom decided to split. She decided she'd had enough of this. She had the home, but yet she didn't really have the home. She wasn't surrounded by friends. My dad had turned all her friends or turned all all her. He, since his relatives had a quote-unquote home field advantage and were down there, my mom didn't have any friendships other than what she made at work, and those those friendships were tenuous at best because uh, after a while, a lot of a lot of her work friends were scared of my dad, scared of what was going to happen. So she decided that she was going to move back up north uh, to where her parents were in northwest Indiana. So she um, she did that without me. And I was left with my father for about six weeks, uh, give or take, until she came and got me. Probably at his at his request. I don't I don't know if that was the case or not, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. Anyway, it wasn't. I, she abandoned me with him, um, probably out of you know, self preservation. But I didn't look at it that way at the time. I I looked at it, you know, in a resentful manner. I didn't, you know, I felt like I was being abandoned by my mother and. And left with a, a parasite, and my dad didn't care about me. Once he had me, he didn't do anything for me. Uh, we moved out to a, a place. It was a, a, a little apartment complex behind where he was working at. He was working at a bar. Um, I think it was called the Sixty Four Club or whatever. It was on the lake or something down in Tennessee. I do remember that it was on Tim's Ford's Lake, and there were I'd go out. Uh, the apartment was right right on the lake, pretty much or pretty close to it. So I mean, my my days in were down by the lake, uh, feeding ducks with uh, feeding ducks with probably uh, bread or whatever. When I was a kid, and um, but I did that for a number of weeks. Um, I was in uh, involved in the bar element for a while, I guess, and then um, he got tired of me, and then I was uh, cramping his style because uh, he was sleeping around and sleeping with women and all that kind of stuff, and. I guess that was one little part of him. He had to hide that a little bit from me, I guess, because he figured I would figure it out. Though he, every once in a while, it was like he was uh, he was testing the waters there. But he was a sociopath or a psychopath. I think he's an actual psychopath, at least from from my uh, analysis of the hair test and applying it to him. 
So, you know, we got bored with his, you know, I guess you could say his victory. And I found out and he found out, you know, it wasn't about me. So my mom came and got me with her uh, with her sister and, and her parents, uh, my grandparents. And it was a rough time. I, at that point, I, would, I had been so uh, contorted and manipulated for a period, so many months that I resented everybody. And I, I didn't trust anybody. I, 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 I would lash out at authority figures. I was uh, I, Anybody who tried to control me, I was um, very upset about. Um, and the reason why I'm expressing this is because there was fight in me. I just knew who not to fight, I guess you could say, at the time. And so under that under that duress, when I wound up in uh, northwest Indiana, it was a difficult transition. I was picked on a lot because obviously at that age, you know, kids pick on anything they don't know or don't understand. If you're a foreign or from an outsider perspective, they they tend to tease to see what you're willing to put up with. Well, at that point, I wasn't willing to put up with being teased very much um, because I had spent the last year getting, um, you know, put through the ringer my mom had been put through the ringer and really my mom when she came up to northwest indiana she found a job found something where she could make some money and that was her initial i guess she was trying to set up shop uh so i commend her for that i think that's what she was really she knew she couldn't do that with she had to get something set up before she could actually bring me along i guess i don't know and maybe maybe try to smooth over things with her sister who her sister was nothing but a a negative Nancy, and I actually uh, did everything she could to tear her, her, tear, tear her own sister down, or my mom. You know, would just say, "Well, I told you so." It was one of those uh, smug uh, uh, analysis of why she should have never gotten married to begin with, and all that kind of stuff. And of course, my mom made the mistake of staying with him for ten years. Her Catholicism probably was in the way of that, so she she put up with a lot more than a lot of women would or ever should. But uh, I'm saying I'm relaying that because I think it's important to realize that, you know, after I went through that, I spent, you know, a period of years, you know, fighting and struggling. I, I struggle for the rest of my uh, formative years, uh, you know, at least until uh, uh, early to mid 20s uh, dealing with that. Uh, later, he went he would go to prison for nine years. And because he went to prison, uh, then he thought he could, he could tell me, he told me how he turned over a new leaf and found God again. And he sent me all these, uh, different letters and that kind of was supposed to be seen as somehow that made it all better. He never changed. He never changed his tactics. Uh, I mean, he was, he always used God. That was the one thing he always did, which, you know, obviously when you're, you're in a position where you're supposed to. Uh, you know, it's kind of the, oh, if you believe in God, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to forgive me for all my sins. And, you know, it's a, it's a good ploy if you're using it on somebody to get them to, uh, accept you for all your flaws while, uh, determining that if you don't, if determining that if I don't accept his flaws, I'm the bad person here. It's, it's a, it's, it's quite the, quite the trick. Uh, especially when you're younger because you, you start to question yourself and you say, you know, maybe I should be, you know, you know, and it's just, a, it's just another ruse. Um, there are people like this. This is, uh, this is, uh, the people that are running our country and the people that are running, trying to run our world. Um, when I say they're, 
psychopathic or sociopathic forces. I mean, it's hard not to. See, because if these people were actually interested or inter- interested in entertaining actual uh, solving of problems, they would go about it in a far, far different manner. And we know what those manners are, but yet they're not willing to do that. Um, so to change the subject here, we're going to talk about climate change. <laughs> um, I'm going to play an audio from Jordan Peterson t- talking about the subject, and I think that'll... That's a good place to go. Um, I think we can. That gives me a time to rest and 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 uh, I'll work out my thoughts, and then we'll go from there. So. Drought, flooding, and ocean acidification, unanticipated for sixty-five million years, all result from climate change, according to over seven hundred of your fellow scientists. So I was wondering whether you thought climate change could be an issue that could unite us all on left and right, moving us beyond debates about C-16 to discussions at the UN at Katowice next month, where perhaps humanity might finally discover its global map of meaning. No. I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the first reason is, is that um, I spent a lot of time reading. Uh, I worked for a UN committee for two years on sustainable economic and ecological development and read a very large amount during that period of time and learned a lot, much of which made me much more optimistic than I had been before I read the relevant literature, which was a real shock to me. But the climate change issue is an absolutely catastrophic, nightmarish mess, and the idea that that will unite us is that's 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 not going to unite us. I mean, um, first of all, it's very difficult to separate the science from the politics, and second, even if the claims, the more radical claims, are true, we have no idea what to do about it, and so no. And besides, it's even worse than that. Here's the here's one of the worst things about the whole mess is so as you project outwards with regards to your climate change projections, which are quite unreliable to begin with, and the unreliability of the measurement magnifies as you move forward in time, obviously, because the errors accumulate. And so if you go out 50 years, the error bars around the projections are already so, so wide that we won't be able to measure the positive or negative effects of anything we do right now. So how in the world are you going to solve a problem when you can't even measure the consequence of your actions? Like, how is that even possible? And, and besides that, well, what's the solution? What are we going to do? Switch to wind and solar? Well, good luck with that. Just try it and see what happens. We can't store the power. Germany tried it. They produced more carbon dioxide than they did when they started because they had to turn on their coal-fired plants again. That wasn't a very good plan. Well, we don't want nuclear. It's like, okay, what happens at night? Huh, the sun goes down. Well, isn't that something we shouldn't have taken, that we should have taken into account? Well, we've got to flip on the coal-fired plants. Well, so it was a complete catastrophe, and all that happened was the price of electricity shot up. There's like zero utility. So that's, that's not a solution. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we should cut back. We can't consume as much as we, sh- as, we, as we are all consuming. It's like, well, maybe, except the data that I've read indicate that if you can get the GDP of people up to about $5,000 a year, then they start caring about the environment, and the environment cleans up. So you could make a perfectly strong case, I think, and a reasonable one, perhaps even a humane one, 
that the actual idea would be to get everybody in the world who's poor, desperately so, out of poverty as fast as possible, which would increase consumption in the short term, because then they'd start to care about the environment and things would clean up. It's like, okay, well, what are we going to do about global warming? Well, good luck figuring that out. I don't see a solution on the horizon. I look at Bjorn Lomberg's work. I really like Bjorn Lomberg. I think he's a real genius. You can look him up if you want. He took the um, UN Millennial Goals. There's 200 of them. That's way too many goals if you're serious about goals, by the way, because 200 goals isn't a plan. It's a wish list. You have to prioritize. I'm serious. You have to prioritize. But they won't prioritize because each of the goals has its constituents. And if you prioritize, then you irritate the constituents. But if you don't prioritize, then you can't implement the plan. So what Lomberg did was gather a team of teams of economists, multiple teams, some of whom were Nobel Prize winning economists. He had them assemble teams. He had them rank order uh, development goals in terms of their return on investment, all, all of the teams. Then he averaged across the teams and came up with a final list. And, and addressing global warming wasn't even on the list. The, the most fundamental, he wrote a book called How to Spend $75 Billion to Make the World a Better Place, and that's not very much money on a global scale. Almost everything that he recommended had to do with increased child nutrition in developing, in developing countries. It's like, these things are complicated, man. These are complicated. It's like, well, let's fix global warming. It's like, okay, well, good luck with that. First of all, how are you going to do that? And to think that will unite us, but certainly not uniting us so far, so, no. And, and it's just, it's just, it's the kind of low-resolution thinking that just gets us absolutely nowhere. I like what Lomberg did way better. I think it's way more intelligent. So, you know, maybe if you, if you increase child nutrition enough and, and you produce another, I don't know, 10 million geniuses as a consequence of that, and maybe one of them will figure out what to do about global warming. Well, I'm serious about that, you know? It's not a bad thing to increase the total sum of human brain power, you know? And so, it, it, we, we treat these things so lightly. Well, let's fix the planet. Well, we're going to concentrate on global warming. Well, why global warming? Well, because everyone thinks that's the biggest catastrophe. Well, maybe it is, but if you don't have a solution, well, and then what about all those other problems? What are you going to do about them? Well, we'll ignore them because we can feel good about, you know, being concerned about global warming. It's like... I don't, I don't, you know, one of the reasons, there's more trees in the Northern Hemisphere than there were 100 years ago. No one knows that, but it's true, and by a substantial margin. You know why, in part? Because people burned coal instead of wood. It's like everyone says, well, we shouldn't burn coal. It's like, okay, fair enough. What do you want to do, burn trees instead? Because that's what poor people would have done. It's like, coal isn't good. Well, it's better than burning wood. So these things are complicated. So they're, they're unbelievably complicated. And so, and so, no, no it's not going to unite us. And we're not, we're not going to do, do a damn, damn thing about, about it either. So, yeah, I think, I think you can get where I'm coming from on this. And there's others who uh, can discuss this. This is a complex problem. It's far too complex because of the constituencies, as he mentioned quite, quite uh, tellingly. You know, you have all these constituencies and you have 200, a, a, a laundry list, a, uh, a shopping list of things that you want to, to to improve upon, and this is the UN, and this is the World Economic Forum, and this is this uh, Build Back Better, uh, Great Reset bullshit that they've been pushing on us. And the globalists are doing this because they're hustlers. They hustle everything. They have to have you in crisis, and they have to con they have to have you uh, have learned helplessness. That's the reason why they, 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 I mean, they literally came out in 2016 and had, had a, 
had a little uh, film, and they and they they actually somebody wrote this. Uh, you will you will own nothing and be happy, because right now they're in the they want to install global communism. They think this time it will be different, but the reality is they know it won't be different. The ones that are actually in part of this know no damn good and well this is not going to be different. They're looking for they're, they're going to mass kill millions if not billions of people in this world because they don't have any idea how to run an organization. They don't. They think they do. They'll say it's because of our resistance. We're resistant because we're human beings. We're resistant because we have free will. We do have free will. You can do anything you decide to do today. You can go out and do whatever you want to that comes to your head. Not all of it is good. A lot of it is bad. But that's the reason why they 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 try to play these moral argument games with us. That you should feel other, you should feel you should care about other people and your your uh, co- contributions to the carbon footprint, or uh, you should wear your mask so that you you know won't pass or spread a virus to them. It's kind of interesting though. You don't see a lot of globalists flying around. They're flying around in jets. They're not wearing masks. They don't care about that stuff. Have you seen Bill Gates wear a mask? Have you ever seen him on TV wearing a mask? Have you seen him in any in situation where there's another person in the room? I mean, it's rules for thee, not for me. They think they're better than you. They always do. It's the authority. They 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 use the they use the position of thinking that they're powerful and you're weak, and they want you to be weak. They use psychological torture on you. They're, they're torturing us because they're afraid of us. Like my dad was afraid of me. He was technically not afraid of. He was afraid that I would leave, uh, he, that if I wasn't around, he wouldn't have someone to pick on. It was quite interesting. You know why I know that? Because uh, after I wound up with my mom, then the the abuse started. The more abusive uh, aspects. He would he continued to call for a while, and he would try to use. Uh, first, it was sugar. And then it became uh, uh, criticism, and then it was just outright abuse, like he would say really nasty things to me, and I'd hang up on him. And then he, he started making threats to my mom and everything. Why? Because he lost control. He he no longer could. He he. And then he was using that. And of course, my aunt was involved in this too, so she thought she could do. She would try to play that thing on me. People didn't realize this. Who uh, what I was dealing with on a normal basis at that age why I was frustrated or why I would get uh felt felt easily antagonized. I was easily antagonized at you know, sixth, seventh and eighth grade by people around me, uh, or the in my responses to my environment was because of the things that were going on in my home life, uh between uh, uh dealing with my father and dealing with my aunt and and having to ignore them or try to ignore them even though they would find ways to nettle me. And when it, when when it's a person you're supposed to trust or believe in or, you know, there there's supposed to be people that you're supposed to turn to for guidance and in situations and they turn out to be that kind of people, then you have to cut them out of your life. Meanwhile, you know, there were other crises. My grandfather died when I was in 8th grade and uh, I loved him. I cared for him. I I thought he, you know, if if I had something like him as a father, that would have made a good, good uh, impact on my life. Though I mean, he, even he knew he was 
he was flawed and he he shared his flaws with regard to uh raising uh raising his one daughter linda and the reason why she turned out the way she did was because of the things that happened to her in her life um uh when i say earlier so when they were in the 1950s um at one point my my grandparents were uh homeless and they lived in a car and then they they let their daughters uh live with uh, uh relatives well Sure enough, um, one of the relatives that uh, they lived with for a short while uh, was abusive. And so Linda never, she never recovered from that. While my mom, I evidently my mom didn't receive that abuse. Or if she did, she didn't. My mom never, never, my mom never said that it happened to her. And my mom was a strong person. And, and you know, even through what she received from her um, received from my father. She came out of that and uh, wound up running her own business and, um, you know, dealt with a lot of people that used to pick on her. A lot of people picked on her. Her own boss there for her first job when she um, got to uh, Indiana would criticize her based upon her English or how she talked or, you know, how she dressed or whatever way. She just she was a, a, a upper middle class or upper class woman. Her well, she thought she was because of her husband, because her husband was a lo- the local lawyer in town, and so that made her, made her a big to do as far as she was concerned. Uh, but uh, yeah, so when my mom finally got the business or bought the business from her because uh, Alice couldn't uh, couldn't run it any further, or certainly couldn't run it any better uh, than my mom could. Um, my mom uh, took over the business, and actually, I think she did about much uh, had more success, more successful sales, um, and she kept it going for another fifteen years. And I think Alice had only been running it for about you know eight or ten, and most of the time she was being subsidized by her uh, husband or or other uh, for other reasons. But uh, as a matter of fact, she was doing she supposedly was doing it for charitable reasons to help her. I think her grandson or son Andrew. It's a it's a long story, very complex, and I, I can't I don't know all the details, but ostensibly my mom learned to uh, be uh, she had res- resilience and she persevered, whereas her sister did not. And there again, there was an abuse uh, cycle involved, and I could feel sorry for my aunt. I still do in some respects, but uh, I can't have her in my life because I can't deal with her. I couldn't deal with her. Uh, we were antagonistic towards each other for, from the time I showed up in uh, Northwest Indiana and thereafter, and I'm using that as a uh, jump-off point because this is about psychological, uh, the demoralization and the psychological struggles that we're facing. Uh, we're facing people that uh, often are just they're too far gone. You can't deal with them. You can't uh, you can't reason with them. You can't uh, change their mind about things. Um, and this is hard. It's hard to deal with as people because you think that, you know, there's enough rationale. We're not dealing with, uh, we're not talking about people who are, you know, have mental disabilities. We're talking about people who went through an education system who should have known certain things and developed certain ways to cope with, uh, their environment and uh, be open to reason and logic and open to consequences and, 
uh, risk assessment and short-sightedness and long-term thinking. And, and like I said, this isn't this isn't just a uh, you have to look at all those factors. I think that's what Jordan Peterson was getting to with his climate uh, analysis, and he, you know he actually sat in on stuff like this. So we've, uh, I mean, matter of fact, there's a, a paper I included uh, doing about the vanity of climate change uh, from Spiked Online. That's a long piece, but one of the things was they just had this climate uh, conference uh, through the White House or whatnot, and it, it was barely attended and whatever, but there's a little paragraph here. I guess this is important. Uh, but while Boris Johnson is keen to elevate himself as the global cl- climate champion and Biden is equally keen to make uh, mark the end of the Trump years, other global leaders are not joining in. Despite Western pleading, India has ruled out committing to a net zero target on the basis that it would clearly cause too much economic harm. China, which has pledged to re- reach peak emissions by 2030 and to aim for carbon neutrality by 2060, has also signaled it's unlikely to be increasing its green ambitions anytime soon. A recent meeting between the charmless U.S. climate envoy John Kerry and his Chinese opposite number, Zhe Zhua, came to naught. But this shouldn't be so that that this this in herein lies the 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 problem. Uh, China is uh, what in 2019 and 2020 they they turned on more. Uh, cold fire plants um, this idea of aiming for net uh, carbon neutrality by 2060 that's going to be 10 years past their goal which is 2050 uh, to be the supreme uh, supreme world power and actually they're trying to get ahead of that fact G right now is pushing hard to to take over uh, all the that's why the Belt and Road Initiative is being put in place. This is why they're building aircraft carriers. This is why they're building up their military. They're planning on dominating the entire world before 2030. They don't care about. I mean, they don't care about climate. If you look at their CO2 emissions, they've been rampant. Now, here's here's the 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 catch to that. Since 2000, when they joined the World Trade Organization. And uh, our manufacturing base started going over to China. Well, China doesn't have any restrictions on emissions. So a lot of our manufacturing plants who were in the United States, and we, uh, we had our dumbass uh, corporate leaders move, their, move all their stuff over there. The thing is, is of course, that was going to increase carbon emissions. I mean, it was, it was a foreseeable outcome. And, of course, you know, people say, well, it's driven by American consumerism. Well, who's behind American consumerism? Women. A vast majority of women buy most of, do most of the purchasing across the, across the board. Uh, and what is driving their problems? Well, they're using consumerism uh, to fill the hole in their lives for lack of family. Um, and plus, we have duplication, a duplication of household. Imagine, imagine if there was a one household and you had one, a one-income family, which... We used to have up until about 1975, which is just so conveniently ties in with the divorce rates climbing. Once you have a divorce and you have multiple families, which I've lived through and experienced, uh, you have to have duplication of household, duplication of electrical energy, duplication of cars, food, a host of things, more miles traveled, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean... Uh, 
the reason why we have this climate impact is because you've had too many homes. You had too many apartments. And when I say too many, you, you have you had to duplicate those things. It used to be people had smaller homes, bigger families, more cohesiveness, and they worked together. A family is a cooperation. You know, it's not a it's not a dictatorship, which of course women think it is, because God forbid if a man has any say so in a in a relationship, um, for some women. I'm just using that as an argument. And I know what this is like because I had my loggerheads with my own mother when we were together, when we lived together and I was a young, you know, I was a teenager. I was with any teenager as I wanted to rebel against authority. Uh, we all go through those cycles. But when you're in a family, a large family at that in some ways, uh, there's got to be some cooperation. There's cooperation amongst the, the man and the woman. There's a cooperation amongst the kids and the household, etc. Everybody knows uh, this is this are, these are the dynamics that exist in every situation. But someone's got to be in charge and someone needs to make good decisions. You can't just go around thinking that you cannot make any good decisions and expect the world to uh, um, totally ignore that. And that goes to, the, I know this goes to what the left thinks with collectivism with regard to uh, you, should, you should be collectively responsible for environment. No, they're at the family level. At the family level, there needs to be a negotiation point. That's why, you know, you can get a collective of families or a family to make good decisions. But in terms of trying to express that on to a larger populace, it just can't be done. That's the reason why there's too many constituencies. This paragraph in and of itself tells you that because you have India that wants to do one thing. One China wants to do another thing. The U.S. wants one thing. And then, of course, you have Great Britain. So they're all pulling in different directions. And they're not going to agree to shit. And all they're going to do is destroy our financial system. All these people are just talking about doing nothing. And they're never going to get anywhere with it. And all they're doing is putting in the entire population at play. I honestly, the climate thing is just to cover up for all their misdeeds. And their mishandling of economies. And of course they, they decided at some point that there was a, there's a huge debt market out there. There's a huge debt bubble that needed to be popped. And the only way they can do it is by destroying everything around it, I think. That's that's my hot take on that. I think I think there's a they they, they know that there was a debt tsunami a debt tsunami coming to pass and they also want to uh, many of these many of these leaders are so betrayed and, and bought and compromised that they were willing to give up to China. See China's gonna want to uh, wants to, that's the reason why China wants to run the world. Uh, they 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 felt like they were humiliated and now they want to get to get back. And you know what they did? They went around and compromised all these other European, all these other leaders, European, the United States, etc. They compromised them, and of course they got all their dirty secrets, including some of their sexual peccadilloes. And so, because you know most of them are, like I said, they're immoral, corrupt human beings. You know they're they're. I guess you could say high-level flying monkeys, and the Chinese knew this, and they control them, and they're going to continue to control them because we have too many stupid people that that won't uh, just accept their they won't accept their their flaws, and they won't step aside and let somebody really lead this country or lead this world. And 
a better uh, situation. But we're going to be fall prey to uh, the Chinese because I think our destiny is going to be, it's going to take 15 or 20 years. And by then it might be too late for this country to turn around uh, if Yuri Bezmenov has anything to say or anything he said was uh, uh, prescient. Because uh, the Chinese are, are going to antagonize and threaten until uh, other people submit to them. Uh, there's already been a pushback from Australia. And then on the other side of that, though, there's been the uh, uh, New Zealand has uh, decided that they're, they are abandoning Five Eyes, per se. They're, uh, they're going to go along with the Chinese plan because they're run by a weak female leader who's probably um, bought and paid for. Another story for another time. I'm going to close out this episode. Um, I um, I can't I can't uh, answer or address all the destinies that are going to come to pass, but uh, I hope that we can learn from these uh, sessions <laughs> that I've been trying to put up online, and um, I hope that there's a there's a brighter future for all of us. But we're going to have to get on the same page, and by the same page, I mean we need to. Cons- we need a. Uh, the one thing is that there is a concerted enemy. Um, one is in China, the other is in D.C. Those are our enemies. You know, the United States of America has any hope of survival. We're going to have to identify who they are inside both of those camps, and we're going to have to. We, we need to attack and count. We need to attack to promote uh, uh, our liberties and their justice and we have to find every way possible to fight these people on a, on a, on a moral basis and if need be when the time comes um, they'll, be, they'll be the ones to start it allow them to be the ones to betray us first God bless America God bless the United States and for all the rest of you in the world uh, have a good weekend